Hello. Hi, Reagan. Hey, Jetty. How's it going? Good. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Soft Jaw <laughs> Podcast number three. Number three. Lucky three. Yes. Um, how has your week been? <laughs> mm, my week. Well, it's currently a hundred over a hundred degrees in Portland, Oregon, and at this time of night. Well, I don't know what it is right now. <laughs> it's 97, so that's still pretty amazing for yeah, for Portland. Tomorrow's going to be 109 as a high. So it's so funny, Like even though I used to live in Australia. I mean, it never was always that high, but I'm used to warmer temperatures. I'm such a sissy now. And like any time there's some like a chance of snow the whole city shuts down like there's been all these like warnings and you know i was like oh i i don't think i'll do yoga because it's like too hot even though yoga was you know invented in india where it's a bajillion degrees so i was all anxious about like my dogs and everything today but we have air conditioning and they were fine but it's just like state of emergency almost because it's over 100 degrees in portland yeah um so that's been the last couple days and then my week's been pretty good um i don't know nothing oh Uh what do you think rocket Rocket. oh he he's like chasing a cat is really good (laughs) chasing a cat such good practice (laughs) Rocket. Anyway, (laughs) so my week has been pretty good. Nothing really crazy. Um, I just been to a couple of different yoga classes, been warm, enjoying summer, reading a lot, actually. I haven't been writing that much, but I kind of tore through a book over the weekend, and that was really nice to just, like, allow myself that space to to do that. Yeah, what did you read? I read, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to mess up her name. I read a book by the author Nettie Okorafor. She's a American author with Nigerian heritage. I think both of her parents came from Nigeria. And she writes like sci-fi, fantasy, um, kind of set. Um, this one was set in uh, Nigeria. Um, and it, like involved like aliens coming out of the ocean it's called lagoon and it was so good (laughs) she um one of her books who fears death recently got optioned by hbo and is getting produced by george rr martin of game of thrones fame um and i think it was vice magazine like treated out tweeted out when that was announced like picture of george rr martin next to a picture of the cover of who fears death but just who fears death? You know author's name, and it says George R. R. Martin options sci-fi book for HBO. Like no nothing to do with way. the author or oh um, anything about her. And I mean, she's just she kicks butt um, in the tradition of I would say like Octavia Butler, but even more like focused on African women as the central characters. I actually interviewed her. Um, 10 or so years ago for Bitch Magazine. Oh, so wow. that's my little, like, 
I, I happened to get the her book Zara the Windseeker for review, and I just really loved it. And I was like, oh, I want to talk more to this lady I've never heard of. And now she's like huge. <laughs> Yeah. Super huge. <laughs> I like that the dog uh, sort of punctuated that. <laughs> he was like, she yeah. sure is. <laughs> Mama spent all weekend reading her book instead of paying attention to me. Um, so, yeah, that was very inspiring. So not so much yoga, not so much writing, but reading and really getting into into that headspace. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, this week uh, was really rough on... A body level for me. Um, I stopped taking uh, prescription mm. medicine that uh, I was not pleased with the side effects of. Um, so I've been in this really intense pain rebound. Oh no! Where um, going on to that prescription, I felt that the amount of pain it reduced was rather subtle. But somehow going off of it, um, I'm feeling a pretty intense amount of pain. And I don't know if it's kind of uh, just like the contrast Mm. or if because also some of the side effects were a bit feeling bleary headed that I just hadn't tracked how much pain it was actually reducing. Yeah. Um, And because you get acclimated to it, right? So the amount of pain that I'm in in daily life becomes normalized and like similar to the way that like smell gets kind of normalized. Mm -hmm. You just are like, Oh, I've smelled that smell enough times that I don't really notice it when I walk into a room unless I've spent enough time away from it. Mm -hmm. And then when you come back, you smell it acutely again. So I'm sort of having that, but with pain, (laughs) that does not sound fun. (laughs) No. So it's, it was a bit discouraging and I've just had to sort of abide with it. And, um, I can't remember which day it was, but it was maybe three or four days ago, um, was the first day that I felt hunger, because one of the side effects of this medication was I had no hunger for over two weeks. Oh, my Um, gosh. And so it was this really interesting thing, because I woke up with a terrible headache and really hungry, and I was like, oh, good, I'm off that drug. (laughs) It was was such a weird, like, relief to feel these kind of... uh, discomforts in a way that I was like, Oh, I must be clear of it because I'm hungry and I must be clear of it because my head hurts this bad. Uh, but then having to readjust to pain again. Right. Cause maybe your body was like, Oh, like it was blocking that whatever. And then your body relaxed into it. And then you were like, actually, nope, (laughs) I'm not going to that there anymore and yeah body needs to catch up hopefully it's not going to be a lingering pain only remedied by that particular medication because it seems like i mean the negative effects of it probably outweighed the slight pain relief oh yeah no they did because i was one of the so much of what was wrong with that drug for me or that medication i should clarify in this case uh was that um, it? I had almost no short-term memory at all oh, with wow. it, and it was completely affecting my ability to think, and it was completely uh, preventing my ability to write at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, 
like when it comes to this like trade that I'm willing to do when it comes to pain relief, I'm actually not willing to give those things up like as much as I want. Right. Yeah. See, the dog, the dog agrees. <laughs> um, so it was just an interesting negotiation with, Oh, like I was willing to work through just like not having hunger and like having to coordinate my life to where I was having to make myself eat because food is necessary. Yeah. You know, I like, I was especially willing... if you're practicing yoga and doing yes. like exerting your yeah. body. Yeah. And like walking my dog a lot. And also just cause food is necessary for like all of your bodily functions, um, living, you know, living. and like, you know, it had all these sort of odd, like tingling feelings that were one of the side effects. And I was like, yeah, man. Okay. Like if I've got to just tingle in my extremities, <laughs> that's fine. And, it made carbonated beverages taste bad, which is just such a peculiar side effect where I'm like, what was that medication doing that (laughs) in particular it does that? Um, And I was like, as much as I love sparkling water and it's such a lovely treat, I'm willing to give that up. (gasps) Really? I know. Can you believe it? I was, but I was not willing to give up short-term memories. Well, yeah. (laughs) And writing, you know, and I, I, because I've looked into the medication, Many other people have negative reactions to this drug. And in particular, I saw so many people say, you won't be able to tell a story anymore, or you won't be able to write, or you won't be able to make art. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting that it wasn't just that I specifically couldn't do those things, but that consistently, that's an effect. So it's like doing something to that area of your brain. Yeah, or it's like dampening something to an extent that you can't generate content, you know, in some way. Uh, (laughs) Or memory, like, because I guess memory, in a sense, is you're making a story out of events that happen. And that's interesting and terrifying. And I can understand why you would, why you would tolerate, like, try and tolerate this pain because at least that's something you know tangible rather than just losing an ability to to tell a story right right and just considering I mean what it really gave me as well I mean people's bodies are different so I imagine for some people uh the side effects are not as dramatic or what they're negotiating with is different than me but I just thought I was just thinking so much about people's bodies in pain and this weird, I almost felt like I was like trading in an underground economy, even though prescription medications are mainstream, but this sense for me of like, what am I willing to trade here? Like, what am I negotiating with? And thinking about people's bodies in pain and like what that forces them to negotiate with both like either if they're taking prescriptions or if they've limited capacities or if they're, um, energy levels are such that they have to choose, you know, between one activity and another every day because they can't do more than one, you know, and just, um, so it was like, I experienced it in my body and I'm recovering or I'm in a, in a response to that experience with that one prescription. But it also, I felt like it linked me so much to like the community of pain, (laughs) Yeah. On the planet and sort of the mystery of what will relieve pain, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so I'm on a quest um, and I'm 
you know, it's difficult because I'm weary also. I'm like My doctor has recommended another prescription and just the process of trying something else mm-hmm. um, at this moment doesn't feel hopeful. And I realize, like, obviously I should have a bit more patience because this is only, like, the third thing. But I'm already, like, the the ricochet and the tumult of it is is frustrating. I'm having frustration with it. Regan, I'm going to pause for just a second. I'm yeah. going to take the dog to the room. So in one second. Okay. <laughs> sure. I'll start it. I'll start again. (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome back. Um. So, yeah, that's interesting because I remember I was really scared to ever go on antidepressants because it had been described to me once by a friend who was on them, who was a fellow writer, and she said that when she was on them, it felt like someone, like, had a hand on her brain and was, like, numbing like her thought and her ability to like tell stories. Mm. So I was always terrified to go on antidepressants and I finally had to (laughs) anti-anxiety, antidepressant medication. So I'm on Zoloft and I've been on that for like maybe, I don't know, like four or five years now, just a pretty low dose. But, and I, I feel like it kind of saved my life in some ways in terms of like the anxiety and and panic attacks that I have been prone to. But there definitely is, like, when I get to a certain threshold of thought, I just, it's like my mind just goes blank. Right. <laughs> and and sometimes it's hard, in the like, trying to write, especially, like, fiction or even, even like, emotion. I think writing memoir stuff or, you know, I've been exploring writing about my dad and, and my childhood and everything and I one time enough time has passed since he passed away but also you know I think that having a bit of emotional distance and (laughs) as a byproduct of my medication might be good in some senses for that but I really want to write fiction and my ability for imagination or even like passion for it kind of is just like dampened and then when I do try and get creative or force myself, then it's almost like I need to up my medication because I start feeling those things again that this is dampening and there's this weird tension that goes on. It's just, I mean, it's fascinating. The brain has always fascinated me. Brain chemicals, imbalances. And then, like, I guess to me it's almost like the idea of pain is more like we were talking about that mind body connection mm. or like I always equate like pain as something that your brain can kind of, and I've never been in so much pain, you know, that more than like a tattoo that I've had to like not take medication or mm-hmm. had it for. 
but like there's the ability in that moment to kind of like meditate above it or like put yourself in a trance above it. But it sounds like, I don't know, there's, I mean, maybe I wonder if it has to do as well with how, with your practice and how much you sort of do connect mind and body and, and like that feeling of control or loss of control and, you know, what priorities you would put over, um, physical comfort versus mental comfort. Right. Super interesting. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's interesting because I grew up as an athlete and there's so much emphasis on like pushing through Mm -hmm. pain, which I don't, uh, I don't emphatically disagree with on some level. There's a value to what you can, uh, overcome. Like, and I think it's, I think it really is about like a, a distinction between discomfort mm-hmm. and pain, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that line is not necessarily, uh, exact line. I think sometimes it is right. Mm-hmm. Like if you break a bone, right? Like that's like clearly in the pain mm-hmm. <laughs> category or, but, um, you know, that sometimes, especially as you are like growing up as an athlete, it is about not just stopping every time something feels hard or Mm -hmm. uncomfortable or when you're working your muscles more than they've ever been worked before because you're building a degree of strength. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that I internalized it so much that I didn't know how to register when something was pain a lot of the time, or I thought I needed to push through Mm -hmm. proper pain. Uh, and so Um, you know, it's interesting just being in like chronic pain, which is very different than acute Mm -hmm. pain too. And I was listening to, um, a podcast where this woman who designs games, like video games Mm -hmm. was talking about, um, these studies that have been done, like when people are burn victims and like cleaning out burns is supposedly like up there with the worst pain that humans can experience, right? It's, like, on the scale with cluster headaches and childbirth as, like, the worst. And there's this one particular game, video game, that they used for people, and when these individuals were getting their wounds cleaned out, if they were playing this game, they had such a significant reduction in the amount of pain that they experienced. And what it was and the way that this woman described it was, um, that there's just like only so many resources uh, that your brain can use at one time. And if it's so absorbed in the game, it's not putting any, uh, resources in the pain receptors. Mm. And so that like the, the person who is getting their wound cleaned out, like isn't experiencing the pain because their brain is so absorbed in this video game that it's like too busy to feel pain. Wow. Um, so that was super like just fascinating about, um, when you're absorbed in something else. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I think some of what is happening for me as well is just that, uh, my time is so amorphous. And so yeah. there's like a lot of time to feel pain. <laughs> Yeah. Because there's not a structure and I have to force myself to get 
and forces maybe not the right word. I have to create circumstances where I'm absorbed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then I have to try and sustain those through time. And it is true that if I was working on a painting today and for that amount of time when I was completely absorbed in painting, I wasn't spending time in pain, which isn't to say I was like free of pain, but just that that's not where my attention was, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so it is, I'm, I'm very, I feel like I'm very nascent in my understanding of what pain is and how to work with it through time. And I feel really careful about, uh, you know, because someone kind of glibly recently was like, oh, no, don't take any prescriptions. Like, those are horrible. Mm. And I was like, well, I understand. Like, I understand your concern. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank you, citizen, for your opinion. <laughs> you know, but also, like, if you are in an extreme amount of pain every day, like, you're going to make the choice that can give you relief from that pain. And I don't have... I think I might have historically had a bit more critique or thought someone should just, like, try other things. Yeah. Um, And now I feel just... um, I feel open and curious to the entire spectrum of what might be pain-relieving, but I don't feel a particular need to judge anyone's strategy for how they um, are... Like, for the deal that they're making with pain. Because I just am feeling right now that it's just such a weird, like, underground gamble that you're doing. Like, you just have to, like, meet pain in, like, a dungeon. <laughs> or, like a, like, a basement kind of, like, speakeasy, sort of. And, like, <laughs> you just have to, like, work out your hustle with pain and be like, what am I willing to trade? Or for how long am I willing to try? Or, like, whatnot. Um, so it did. I just didn't really practice physical yoga this mm-hmm week and some of that was just some external logistics and some of that was just the pain and um where my uh and I think to be totally honest I think some of it is that while there can be relief with yoga there is also this um encounter with reality and I think I was a little bit like I don't know if I want to know how Mm -hmm. I feel you know which I've Mm -hmm. spoken about before it was just a little bit like I was like there's a lot there that I um I'm in kind of a really delicate dance with how much of that I'm up for at um at each given point um so I have been meditating um every morning and checking in with that reality so I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not in complete avoidance of it uh, and I've been um, like thinking about yoga which I know is not the same as doing it <laughs> well that that's interesting though that you say I haven't been practicing physical yoga because you know I, I think a lot of the perception in the west or just the perception of yoga it's like this physical activity you go to it's measured by you beginning of the class how you feel then all the stuff you're doing at the class or you know even a home practice like all the poses that you're doing and then you know it ends with 
um, Svasana. And that's, that's your yoga practice. Like it's measured in half hour, 90 minutes, whatever. But, and I don't want to, I don't want to like get too far into myself being like, Oh, well, I'm doing yoga by counting to 10 or something. But cause I will use <laughs> yeah. that excuse. Like did it today and never actually ever do a pose again, but like sort of shifting around, like how a practice does sort of mitigate ways in which you just deal with life. I mean, and, and, and how that goes on in different areas, like whether it's starting to make like different choices about what you put on your, in your body, just because your body is starting to feel differently or it, you know, you'll know whether something causes more inflammation or something like that. And you're like, Oh, so if I don't eat that before or after yoga, then I know I'm going to be better at it or two, you know, um, like mindset and reactions to things and ability to, to meditate and, and, and things like that. And I think I mentioned this in a different episode, but I, I haven't gotten to that place yet. Like, I think that I grew up enough around yoga that that yoga sort of, or like at least like Hindu Indian sort of belief systems and culture in a sense was around me. And it was just kind of like for my dad, things were just like infused with that mindset. And like the physical practice of yoga was just one teeny tiny kind of aspect of like a set of ways of being. Mm -hmm. And so Again, I don't want to use this excuse on my behalf by being like, well, I did yoga once last week, so I'm totally... Because, like, I, I don't meditate. I haven't really been able to... Like, I'm getting on a yoga mat and even staying in a pose for more than 20 seconds. Like, I have this weird, like, attention deficit. I'm not going to say ADD, but, like, I definitely don't have any kind of, like focus and stillness and I need to cultivate it. But, um, but yeah, I want to sort of explore that a little more like throughout the podcast, you know, different episodes or whatever, just really how a consistent practice can help sort of shape other awarenesses, including, I don't want to fucking do yoga today because I mean, your body puts itself, it adjusts itself to pain. And you know that as soon as you move it, you're going to maybe feel more pain or open up something that you just don't have the capacity to, to deal with at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, this, um, I, I agree (laughs) with many of the things you said. I think I'm also, I'm hitting a moment and I think I, mean, I sort of referenced this in the last time I was speaking, like where I want to be building like structure into mm-hmm. my life. And because of the nature of my life right now, I need to be doing that. Like it has to come from me. And I'm a little bit like, could something just create the fucking structure for me? <laughs> like, and then I'll just do it. But I'm, you know, at the moment, that's not the case. Like I don't have employment that structures my day or I don't have, um, any daily obligations that aren't ones that I generate. And so I think with the meditation practice being something I'm doing each morning, 
I'm interested in, in maybe I'm like setting an intention for between now and the next uh, soft jaw recording uh, to add a bit of structured physical practice of asana practice, right? And so letting that be maybe a time amount rather than mm. specific poses, but being mm-hmm. like, okay, like I meditate for five minutes and also I do 15 minutes of asana um, so that then there's this kind of recommitment to showing up for whatever is there, you know, and they don't have to be like big, bold, like physical, like uh, strength building poses, right? There's plenty of asana that are restorative or that are subtle um, that I think is maybe like a commitment I'd like to make back to my body again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's interesting because this idea of a practice, right? Um, when I interviewed Tony um, for my master's thesis and we were t- talking about um, having a practice and what is a practice and what does it mean and uh, the, the commitment and the regularity of it. And he was talking about his son and I was like oh you know I'm always interested in that like the way that um familial lineage works or the way that one might rebel or adopt uh your parents vocation you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was like oh does your son practice yoga and he was like no 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 my son doesn't practice yoga but you know he does have a practice I was like oh okay like what's his practice and he was like oh he's really into video games (laughs) um, you know and I I mean I trust Tony pretty pretty deeply you know and I also felt like I was like man you are being real generous to your son to consider his devotion to his video games to be somehow this like equivalent practice right Mm -hmm. Uh, well that was my attitude then and I I mean I didn't really express it even as an opinion because I felt like cool, that's, you know, that's how you are handling being a dad of a video game addict or whatever, you know. Uh, But, um, like, ultimately, both he was vindicated by this podcast that I was listening to where this woman who designs games is also a Buddhist, and there have been all of these, like, fMRI tests on meditators and people who do video games, and they're very similar... Um, regions of the brain that are both like activated and um, kind of engaged mm-hmm. with meditation and with video games. And I imagine with similarly anything where you're putting your singular focus and being completely present with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, when I, when I was painting today and I was thinking about other times that I've painted and how, when I'm doing that, it's the only thing that I'm doing, you know, like I'm not checking my phone. I don't feel the impulse to look at Instagram. I don't feel the impulse to like divert my attention a million different ways. Like when I'm painting, I am there in that process in a way that I think correlates to 
meditation and probably what happens with people who do video games. I just don't play video games, so I don't um, I don't experience that in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I don't play like a huge amount of video games, but I, I definitely play some mobile games. But then I've had to sort of limit myself with that because it zones me out so much that I don't do other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm just staring at a tiny little screen. But I do like play PlayStation and stuff sometimes. And I think it's like, it's, you know, a lot of the stuff I play, it's like more based around storytelling video games. So I'm not as well versed. At, like, I don't really like the super violent ones or anything. But it's almost like you're watching a movie, you're doing a choose-your-own-adventure, you're using your brain to, like, make decisions and, like, actively, like, having to coordinate your hand and eye coordination. So it's definitely, I mean, there's definitely, like, a zone that you get in. And, and I mean, I'm not going to speak to whether it's productive or exercising (laughs) anything more than, I mean, for me, it's just, like a way to like not think about anything else and, and sort of have senses of accomplishment when you like complete a task or something. Yeah. Um, but I mean, when you were first talking about like practice and like for yoga, even just having a set of time that you regularly show up to and dedicate, I mean, as writers, I mean, that's what, I've heard over and over again for, you know, what is your writing process? You know, it's like, just show up, dedicate a certain amount of time. You know, if you're not able to just sit and write or like a stream of consciousness, like do something that's related, like do either the research or sketch out your characters or read a book about writing. So it's kind of like training your brain to just be focused um, on something like eventually gets easier. It's like habit forming, mm-hmm. habit building, positive habit building. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I am also trying to write poems every day in August. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was just writing to a friend and being like, Oh yeah. Sometimes you just write a bad poem. Yeah. Right. Like I was like, all right, like there's no, like there's no lightning bolt that strikes you down. If your poem sucks, like you just wrote a bad poem, right? you know, it's okay. Or if you have a day of writing where, you know, I had a a day of writing this week where I was like, oh, this is just like churning in the mud. I don't really feel like any of this is going towards my aspirations. And I was like, right. But maybe that's like junk clearing. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe there's one sentence in there that is valuable and you've got to do all of this, like mucking about to get to that one sentence. And you just have to show up with like that level of like, I'm willing to be like, like, you know, like I was saying about when I first started yoga, like I'm willing to be like a clumsy baby goat Mm -hmm. for what I get from this. Mm -hmm. And I think like, I'm trying to find that again with writing to just be like, I'm willing to be the clumsy baby goat to rebuild this skill because it's what I love. And I mean, it fluctuates so much. Like I, you know, been 
for the past month now, I guess it's been a month, been tr- consistently trying to do as much yoga as I can fit into my spare time, which averages out a few times a week. So that's pretty good for me considering I was not even exercising at all before. But, you know, last week I had my period and hated everything and everything was so hard and I always am super clumsy. I can't balance. Like I don't, my ankles swell and so like it hurts to do any kind of standing poses and so last week I was like holy shit like things I could do last week I can't do I feel stupid and fat and bloated and ugh and ugh and hate I hate yoga and then the class I did on Monday suddenly I was like oh I'm suddenly really good at this pose that I couldn't <laughs> do before so it's like this weird thing that keeps it goes on but it's not like you're gonna go in this linear way of being better 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 it's like i mean just like forgetting pain or injury or or anything like that or even things like periods it could be one day you're just maybe your inner ear fluids aren't exactly balanced or something it's like never the same but something is shifting and sometimes you do need to have that shitty yoga class or write that bad poem or (laughs) You know, like one week, maybe you ate something bad before you go class and you like fart really badly. <laughs> but I once, I once farted so bad in class <laughs> that the teacher had to make a sort of like abstract neutral comment about <laughs> how that can happen sometimes in class. <laughs> so like, you know, try and soothe the source of that smell with me, with me in that room. Uh, so, you know, sometimes that, sometimes that is part of your practice. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that, um, that sensibility of, right, this may not be linear or there's gonna, it's gonna ebb and flow is like true about the yoga practice and then it allows for like what we've been saying like it allows you to abide by the fact that life does not just like move in a linear direction Mm -hmm. you know and so it becomes the ability to be like oh today is a day like it's really humid here and I think that's contributing to um how much pain I'm in I think Mm -hmm. the moisture in the air um does add to my pain experience and so being like, oh yeah, right. Okay, so today's like this. These are the conditions of today. Mm-hmm. This is what does or doesn't happen when I'm in this much pain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you are able to, like, you know, on the next day, you can like assess what is true of that day and mm-hmm. like move accordingly through it. Um, you know, but it does take it's like you remember and forget right like I can say that and then I might wake up tomorrow and just be like fucking hate everything and I'm in pain and I'm grumpy and I don't want to be in this body <laughs> and like you know and then I'm like and then I might wake up the next day and be like oh yeah right <laughs> you know and it's just um, being able to almost hold that within oneself too and like allow for the um the grouchy disengaged moments <laughs> to be like in the mix or like to not, cr- I mean, for me, it's just, I always want to be so impeccable. Right. And I never mm-hmm. want to, never want to be in a bad mood. I never want 
to. I mean, maybe sometimes by myself, I'm sort of like, yeah, me in this bad mood. I'm just going to like roll around in it, you know, but I never <laughs> want it to be, I never want to get it on anyone else. And, um, you know, I always want every word that I write to just somehow be like crystalline and perfect. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's a hindrance to my, um, my engagement with myself and my engagement with my practices, right? Because if I could be gentler on myself, then I could get through a day where the poem is bad without having to get so preoccupied with it. And what you said about clearing out, I think, is totally spot on. Like, you know, I started my blog not to really you know, say anything to the masses, but more as a way to know that there was somewhere that I could dump stuff if I needed to, that was always going to be there. Cause I'm, you know, I'll start journals, I'll buy a fancy new journal and type something and write something on a scrap of paper and never sort of be able to go back to it. Cause I have no idea where it went or, or anything. So a blog is just kind of like, okay, it's all collected there. It's on a computer. I can type it from my phone if I need to, you know, I, it's like a repository and then that has sort of helped just having that to like clear out a lot of the stuff that I think about because Mm -hmm. it's like I could become obsessed with it or think over it and think over it but it's like I can I can put it somewhere the reason why I started my blog it's funny we were talking about writing a poem every day in August. I'm reading this book right now called The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. And it's kind of a weird book. Like it's written in a, I don't know. I don't want to criticize it. It's just, you know, it's kind of a little pop psychology, you know, middle-class white woman, stable family saying, I want to be happy for a month. So I'm going to start being nice to my husband and practice kindness that way. So sometimes I can be a little bit, it's a little bit cringy. Um, but there's some nuggets in there that I like. And, um, just talking about like, just practice and habit forming and, and doing something over and over because it's like life. Like you don't think about eating you just have to well unless you're on a medication (laughs) that stops you from eating which is terrible but um you know you have to eat something every day and sometimes it makes you feel good sometimes it makes you feel bad but it's you wake up and you do it again and it's kind of like if you can incorporate something which you want to for whatever reason health or just spirituality or just fun and passion or just routine even having setting aside that time and, 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 you know, doing something with that, you know? And so, I mean, I'm, I tried to write my blog every day and I just can't. And so I'll make sure to read a blog on those days or think about, you know, write ideas for other ones or sort of view my world in that lens. And, and with, with yoga, I'm not able to physically practice it every day. Um, sort of the opposite reason of you I have hardly any free time between like my job my commute my opposite schedule with my fiance you know stepkids on the weekend but I don't know how people who are like full-time parents do it um just having to slowly start to carve out that space and maybe so maybe one day I will be able to do it every day or 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 whatever but 
having that become like as second nature as eating. <laughs> right. It's kind right. of my goal. Yeah. And I think, um, one thing that I was thinking about is just that, uh, the acknowledgement that altering one's habits is difficult, mm-hmm. right? Like if it was easy, we would all just do it really easy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's like plenty of people who have aspects of their life that they want to alter or they feel motivated to alter in some way, whether it's habits that they have with food or habits that they have with embodiment or habits that they have with thoughts or habits that they have with substances, etc. right? And uh, if it were just raw easy we would just do it Mm -hmm. and we would, there wouldn't be a self-help section in the bookstore. There wouldn't be these thousands of year old like lineages that say over and over like, Hey, like, you know, get present or whatever. And they're like, we say it again and again, cause it's not easy to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. The repetition or the insistence upon it is an, an admonishment of failure. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just a, it's a declaration of like, this is not easy. It's not easy to alter, uh, the way you are going about life, right. In whatever fashion you might be trying to alter it. Um, and so some combination of like gentleness within commitment, I think Mm. I've said that word a bunch today and I'm sort of like, who the you know or like I don't know uh sometimes you get stuck on a thing and you're like what is the concept that I'm working with uh or you know that um being able to recognize um that maybe it's not writing a blog post every day but maybe it's three or four a week right and so it's then recognizing what is practical and functional and addresses the specific like desire Mm -hmm. that you have. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so instead of it being kind of like this externally imposed, like either you write your blog every day or you haven't done it. Right. (laughs) I don't know where, like who, who has sent that commandment down upon (laughs) us, you know, (laughs) but it may be like as you're getting to know yourself and your lifestyle and your conditions, it becomes right. If I write a blog post three or four days a week, that's me being in the practice. That's me showing up for what I'm trying to do. And it's not, uh, pushing against the limitations of my reality. Right. Right. Um, and I think that that's, um, you know, and that's kind of an endless, you never like reach that and achieve it and you're done because the conditions of our lives change all right. the time. Right. You know, like they either change daily in subtle ways or sometimes dramatic ways or over the arc of our life, what a day looks like today for both of us may not be what a day looks like in a year. Right. So what, what happens on a day today, we can't get too locked into thinking that's the right practice. Right. You know? No, that totally makes sense. But I don't want to give myself too many excuses. Yeah. <laughs> I talk myself out of so much because I'm like, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, my video game is meditation. <laughs> like, I know. Oh, no. So I'm, many excuses I'm for enabling my... you. <laughs> it's like 
it's cool just play your video game you're fine <laughs> that's yoga <laughs> um, I mean I think there's like maybe even giving yourself the freedom to play a little bit with that you mm-hmm. know I mean not to play with excuse making I don't I'm not giving you that permission <laughs> but um you know, to be almost curious about what happens if you frame spending 10 minutes doing a video game as, like, a therapeutic meditative practice of some kind, right? Well, that's like, why I know you definitely don't play video games, because you never just spend 10 minutes playing a video game. I would say an hour is a short amount of time if you're playing a video game on a console. So like, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. No, that's like turning the console on and getting the like introductory, like sequence going and getting into the mood. And Oh my gosh, I've lost hours in a, in a video game, (laughs) but yes, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but yes, no, No, approaching it with that curiosity too. Definitely. Like, and that's another thing I take away that I'm getting from this happiness project book as I read it is, and just thinking about happiness as like outside of this almost like self-indulgent, um, unattainable realm, like, you know, the basis of most spiritual practices and all practices is like that sense of accomplishment and achievement and health, but, but, but for what end to feel, to feel happy. And I'm actually you know, I'm practicing my civics test because I actually have an appointment for my citizenship oh, <laughs> interview. Wow. That yeah. was another thing that happened this week. I got an appointment for my citizenship interview, which is crazy in so many ways because it's one of those things that's so huge, but also so personal yeah. and obscure for a lot of people who haven't immigrated to another country yeah, yeah. that... It's like, you know, going into Department of Homeland Security and sitting there and getting an interview. Like, that's intense stuff. Oh, but, gosh, yeah. like, you can't take anyone with you. You just have to go. You have to make the appointment like you're going to a doctor's office or something. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's super bizarre. And then, you know, but it's your life and your where you, your home and, and all of that on the line because of bureaucracy. But at the same time, it's super mundane because it's bureaucracy. Yeah. But yeah. so that's a pretty huge thing that happened. And then, you know, so I'm learning all about my constitution and all that kind of stuff. And then, <laughs> you know, the three founding principles of America was life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you just think like, you know, and Dalai Lama says the purpose of life is to be happy. But, like, happiness, especially if, you know, you've had any type of, like, mental illness that's sort of defined as the opposite of happiness, even though I feel like depression is not necessarily the opposite of happiness. It's, yeah. it's a different sort of state. But I think how the many ways in which humans have described happiness over over time I mean, it it really is, I mean, I guess the yoga idea and word is more like bliss. Mm. Um, Just having that freedom almost of any kind of emotion or or thought. It's just a state of well-being. And 
or like equanimity almost yeah and yeah. like for for so long if someone's like oh how are you today i'm like eh, there's always these things but you're never just like i'm good i feel happy like unless it's like an extreme joy but you know there's so many spectrums to happiness and and following one's passion and and carving out time and not being too critical about the things that you produce and not sort of having a agenda on that. Like, I think that that, you know, I, I've definitely been readdressing my approach to happiness because for so long I was in a place of sad, like definite sadness, like measurable sadness and grief, right. I guess more right. like grief. It, yeah. Grief can be the opposite of happiness, but but you can still find shards of happiness as you, as you come out of that grief, grieving, grieving place. Yeah. So yeah, I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> I also have a yeah. sign in front of me that says happy birthday from four months ago. I just haven't taken it off our wall. <laughs> so I just keep looking at this like colorful foil. Happy like birthday. Insisting on happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Birthdays never make me happy though. Yeah, that's birthdays. another that's another story for another time, we'll speak so. to birthdays another day on our, on our birthdays yes um <laughs> ugh, not for a while yeah, <laughs> so uh, if you didn't do that so we wanted to talk about bridge pose so in the last week were you able to physically practice a bridge pose yeah i did today uh in in knowing we were going to speak <laughs> about Setu Banda Sarvangasana. Uh, I did practice it um, a couple of times today. And in particular, because I am having some really intense uh, low back and sacrum mm. pain. Um, so I was sort of working with how that pain moved through and into that pose and out of that pose. Yeah. Um, but one of the things, I mean, you know, we can talk about that books or practicing it. Uh, one of the things that kept coming up for me was the times that I've been given that pose in restorative practice mm. um, and supported versions of that pose. Because um, a lot of when I was looking up the pose and doing some research and so much of what gets said is like, it's preparatory for all these other backbends and it like gets you closer to be able to do more and do more and do more. Uh, and my sensibility is so um, uh, shifted from that idea of like accomplishment or preparation for like advancement hmm. in in yoga poses right now uh, that it sort of turned my mind down in the opposite direction to the times when I've been given it as pose at the end of class in these restorative fashions and the subtlety and quietude mm -hmm. that have come from that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I found myself really realizing that I was craving that more so than the like uplift of right. a backbend that, um, and, you know, I think we're both talking a lot about this, this question of like, when is something an excuse or when is something when you're indulging in like, uh, I don't want to say negative habit, but like, like defaulting. Right. Mm -hmm. And when is it, um, like a true sensibility of what's right in the moment? Yeah. You know, 
And so it's really just like looking at that and being like, right, I think at this moment in time, this continual look towards restorative practice might just be what is calling or like, Bleh. I do not want to say that phrase. That is not, <laughs> that is not who I want to be. Uh, like what it just might be like what, what I need right now, you know, like I didn't feel like I was yeah. like, Oh, I feel lazy. I just want to be supported. I was like, Oh, I think that state of feeling held and being given this, like the gift of a backbend, right? Like you're still in qualitatively a bit of a backbend, but it's supported and held and, um, softer in that way uh so I think the best gift that us bringing that pose up was that it reminded me of that the possibility of that Mm -hmm. approach again restorative bridge pose I swear like is the best thing in the whole wide world Mm -hmm. um it's pretty delicious. Especially for large-chested women, or <laughs> top-heavy top people um, who sit a lot, like me. And, oh my gosh, it's like when I go to a restorative... And I don't know why I just don't do it at home more. Just, like, do a supportive bridge. It's like I, I'm only going to a restorative class for the chance to, like, lay in that pose for a, a minute yeah. or so. Because it is so so beautiful and I think I think yeah when it's not restorative it's always I mean it's in the name right bridge too it's like not just the shape of it but you know it's it's preparatory like it's like some kind of like you're doing it because you can't do anything better (laughs) you can't do a full wheel yet so you're just doing your bridge pose like in these and I remember when I was a kid because backbends, like a, a wheel pose was like my favorite thing because I loved gymnastics and I would used to like stand at a wall and walk backwards down the wall with my hand and just be in, in wheel pose. And yeah, bridge pose was always this transitory pose. And the way that my dad taught it, and I haven't been to a yoga class really since it does shoulder stand because mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't know if intermediate or advanced classes do it I don't know if it's in like um, vinyasa style yoga my dad did hatha yoga like a specific sequence and so it was always after shoulder stand like while you were in shoulder stand you would put your legs down into bridge and then from there you would lay like your arms down and then go into wheel. So it was kind of this, I don't want to say flow because that has such a different meaning in, in yoga now, but it was the only time that bridge would happen. I mean, he would, if you needed to modify it, you would come down from a shoulder stand and then push yourself up into, into the bridge pose and then, then do the wheel pose. But, um, yeah, I, I just remember that's, I loved that feeling of like being in a shoulder stand and then like flailing your legs down. Well, shouldn't be flailing, but <laughs> putting your legs down right. and then forming this awesome shape that felt so good on your shoulders. Yeah. But now it's often like you're doing some floor stretching and then you go up into it. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that's kind of an odd place to not, not that I'm judging where it puts it, but I don't feel that same. Uh, sort of satisfaction of going from shoulder stand to bridge to wheel, like the way that my dad had taught it. Mm -hmm. 
and it's almost like it's just there as a stretch or if you can't do wheel and again like it's I don't know if a lot of the classes that at least I've been to don't pay enough attention to that sort of backward bending feeling. Maybe it's a liability thing or something, but <laughs> right, like, the, you right. know, because I'm going to be like beginner classes, but. Well, I think it's interesting because um, it's, I think it's unfortunate. I feel like we want, I feel like I want to like fly the like set to bond flag and sort of redeem it from this idea that it's only preparatory or that mm-hmm. it's somehow lesser than like, it's a distinct pose, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it can be, it has a lot of, uh, um, like it can, it can qualitatively be so many different things. Like it can be restorative. It can be rejuvenating. It can be like strengthening. It can, mm. um, it can, it has so much to offer this, like the humble set to bond has so much to <laughs> offer us, you know, and that it's not, um, it need not be, a way station between poses and it also need not be some sort of like step cousin to Urdhva Dhanurasana, right? Like it can be its own solid thing that um, can be really generous, I think. Like I think that pose has a lot of uh, like generosity and and, um, availability to people. Um, And I I really like teaching it as well. Like I think it, um, it's one of the safer... It's a safe backbend for mm-hmm. a lot of people. And it's also, um, it's a safe inversion, you know, mm. because it is on that plane of like the head and heart being lower than the pelvis. So it is on that um, continuum of inversions. Mm. And so I think some of the benefits that come with inversions can come there in a way that's not intimidating the way that some of the other inversions can right. be. Um, and it's just not oppose it's not it's like the complete opposite of what most of our bodies do every day <laughs> right, right um not just like you know putting the legs up against the wall like you can kind of or laying down or something you can do you do kind of can maybe do that in your everyday but like sitting your the tops of your shoulders down and having your neck flat and then scooting up your hips like that i mean it really is i think that epitome of like the opposite of of how People like me who work in an office spend our time yeah. hunched forward. And um, yeah. <laughs> when we were thinking about, or when I was thinking about the pose for the for the podcast, I was like thinking about those. I think they're funny, but they're also really stupid, and you know, questionable stereotypes like. I guess you could say drunk yoga, but I've seen it on t-shirts that are like Irish yoga and it's like the guy like falling off his chair drunk (laughs) and he's like somehow landed in like a breech pose. Right, right, right. (laughs) I don't know why, maybe because I was around it as a kid and like yoga wasn't really anywhere. It was never funny or mainstream and not that I want, you know, target namaste in bed shirts being the norm, but... (laughs) I don't know. There was something about yeah. those drunk yoga shirts that I found hilarious. I still do find hilarious. Not that I ever wear one, but there's always the bridge pose on that because it's like it's you've either, slumped and right. passed out <laughs> and you're like 
but that's it, it's a, it's supportive like your shoulders can hold you up mm. and we forget that in everyday life because our shoulders are just kind of getting in the way or our bags are hanging on them or whatever or they just hurt from hunching but you're strong right there and and if you're gonna be drunk and pass out hold you up. <laughs> right well it's interesting because you were saying like it's not a position that you end up in in daily life right and it's like well yeah Either yoga or when you're wasted, you might have that position, you know. Yes, it's, it's something your body might do under those conditions. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think as well. I mean, this is something sort of uh, it's a bit glib, right? But just that basic thing of doing something with your body that's out of its habituated state, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which. I guess in some ways also with the caveat of like safety and right. like mindfulness. So maybe not wasted, but, um, right. you know, uh, that, that is just, um, you know, I think I lived with dancers for a really long time. And, um, one of the things that that gave me that I really am grateful for is just this awareness that like, bodies can do lots of things Mm -hmm. and make lots of shapes and make lots of gestures. Mm -hmm. And, um, we get into whatever our rut is, right. Where we're at work or we're doing our things or we, and we necessarily become habituated because that's efficient, right? So Mm -hmm. you sit the way that you sit and that might have compromises that you want to make adjustments to, but like ultimately finding a way to do things or like you chop vegetables the way that you chop vegetables. Uh, and you need not be inventive every time you do that because that's inefficient, right. To the task of chopping vegetables. Uh, but, but when I would spend time with the dancers, so much of what they were doing was just exploring what a body might do given the freedom to do whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and it was very methodical. So it wasn't just, chaos it was very deliberately exploring that but um I think there's something really generative and special about doing things with your body that you don't normally do right Mm -hmm. and I don't have uh I don't have a podcast to reference that is giving me backup on that the way that I did about video games (laughs) but um I think I imagine that there's something neurologically Generative, like the way that they'll say to like walk home a different way, because that creates more neural connections. Mm. Or you know, and I imagine that um, just putting our body into shapes that they don't spend as much time in, especially if you're doing that carefully, um, can give your nervous system like a new experience or a new connection, or can allow something new to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't happen if you're just only upright all the time or only performing your same regular tasks in your same regular way. Um, you know, and yoga is interesting because it, in some ways it is, uh, a, ref- a habit, right. in in the sense of like Satyabandha is a pose and, it's not that you come to it and you're supposed to do it with your imagination new every day. It's not like dance in that regard, or it's not like, um, free form in that way. Uh, 
but like within the structure of a pose, you might find something new in the way that you like experience your hand, right? Or you might find something new in the way that you breathe. So there's kind of like a play inside of the structure mm-hmm. too. Uh, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel I feel kind of like I didn't give that pose um, as much attention this week as I should have. Well, I, that class that I told you I went to on Monday, it was called Express 26. And I guess um, I've been to it a couple times, and it is the same 26 poses each time. And I guess it's based off there's a Bikram yoga 26 pose sequence. And I guess this, you know, it, it usually is supposed to take 90 minutes, but this teacher puts it into a 60-minute class, which is probably where the Express 26 mm-hmm. comes from. And so there's no bridge or a wheel in the in that 26 pose. I'm just, I was looking, trying to look it up. It's like a sequence that you're meant to, I guess, practice every day that they came up with for systematically moving fresh, fresh oxygenated blood to 100% of your body to each organ and fiber. Um, each so, organ and each fiber. Yeah. Each so, and every one. You stand, you start with standing deep breathing, half moon pose, awkward pose, or like chair poses, eagle pose, standing head to knees, bow, balancing stick, which looks like, I don't know, warrior three, um, standing separate leg stretching pose, triangle, head to knee, tree pose. So tree pose is in there. <laughs> um, then into a toe stand, corpse pose stretching your legs and then some floor things but yeah there's no bridge bridge pose in there so I just kind of did um a bridge pose tonight and oh my gosh it was so glorious because I just I w- at first I was like I can't just go into it right it's like you have to but it's so warm here and I've <laughs> been moving around enough I was like I can go straight into it and I was just stretching my shoulders with it and just it's such a good pose. I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> that feeling yes. of stretching out the back of my neck and not, you know, counterbalancing my chesticle area. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, but I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't pay it attention either. Like, I think that, you know, it was more, I don't think I've ever, other than maybe if like I feel weak in my legs or my butt hurts or something, even though I know you're not supposed to clench your butt. Um, but I think that's sometimes just what people naturally do to get their hips higher when they're a little bit weaker in the core, like me. Um, it, there's nothing, you know, like how we were talking about crying in pigeon pose. Like there's nothing that I have found anyway, like, being like approaching that pose with trepidation because if you need to, you can just stick a block under you even in a regular practice or in restorative, it's just luxurious. Um, but I'd be interested. I'd be interested to know if there is, are people who have experienced some kind of like emotional release because of 
or not even release, but like a negative almost reaction, like a mm. bad emotional feeling or something by being in that. Cause it's not a hip opener, yeah. which kills us. <laughs> um, just everything's there. I mean, and I think I store my tension in my shoulders for sure. And if I, but it's more, it's just a place to put it when I can't deal with it. It's not, it's just like everyday life work mm. stresses. It's not like, you know, connected to my root chakra and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so it's not really even, I guess, necessarily connected to a chakra, I guess, heart opening. But yeah. Yeah. I was going to say definitely with back lens, I think is that, um, the heart. So maybe it is just like that bliss, that happy <laughs> feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I couldn't think of a time where I didn't ever not want to do a bridge. Yeah. Pose. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Yay, Satsubanda. Mm-hmm. Um all right, so um should we pick a different pose for next week? <laughs> that uh we'll actually or I shouldn't say we. I will endeavor <laughs> to uh practice more regularly this week. Um uh, do we want to do one of the warrior poses? I was thinking exactly the same thing. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> well, actually, I was thinking of triangle pose, but then I was like, what about a warrior or something? Like, yeah. some, one of those sort of standing. Uh, can we do warrior two? We have Vajrasana two. Sure. Okay. Cool. I think I will want to practice that one. Ugh, I hate it. Okay. <laughs> well, this will be nice because I feel like we'll have very contrasting uh sensibilities about that pose. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, maybe I don't hate it as much now that I am gaining some leg strength. Yeah. But, oh my God, when you're in a practice, in, in like a class, and you've done like a thousand warrior twos on each side, and you're like, okay, floor exercises now, and then they're like, and then go back into words. I'm just like, what? <laughs> no! Child's pose, child's pose. <laughs> go get water. Hide in the bathroom. Come back when they're finally on the floor. So, (laughs) yes, that's my that's my feeling toward it. So, all right. So we'll we'll confront our warrior (laughs) two next week. Unleash the warrior within. Yes. Um, Oh, is there anything else that you wanted to address this evening? No, you've been listening to Soft Jaw, (laughs) a podcast about yoga and more. Uh, get in touch with us at softjawpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your bridge pose experiences. And also, tell us about your relationship yeah. to happiness. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, please. And I don't want to, yeah, and as someone who has experienced depression and anxiety, and even in this, like, kind of hokey happiness project book, she even addresses, like, you know, depression is a very real thing you shouldn't like I, I think yeah happiness to try and take it out of the context of you know these binaries these black and whites and yeah. this mental illness kind of stigma that we have that if you're depressed that equals just oh you're really sad be happy but <laughs> <laughs> nothing like that but yeah like because for me having had depression my on and off my whole life and anxiety I've kind of thought of happiness as this unattainable sort of bullshit thing, but I think that approaching the concept of it in a different way and argue, argue with that concept too, if you think, because you know, I'm just sort of really 
thinking about it now. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that happened for me this week, um, my friend and I have been, uh, on our minds has been this, the, the Buddhist meditation practice of inviting your difficulties closer, like mm. especially difficulty, difficult feelings, right? So fear shows up rather than trying to move away from fear, push it away to like mm-hmm. invite it in closer or apprehension or disgust or any of those kind of anything that you may experience emotionally or qualitatively that you might not want closer to actively invite it closer in. And um, one of the things I realized with both her and I, and I think it may be similar for you, but um, is that I realized, I think I equally as much have to practice inviting um, like nicer feelings in Mm -hmm. that I think in some way I have an apprehension about at this moment, you know, based on circumstances and maybe habits and, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe who knows what else, but where, when something is good, I'm not necessarily inviting that all the way in Mm -hmm. as well. And so being able to, you know, whether it's happiness or bliss or joy or delight, like when that shows up to, um, to welcome that closer to, and not in a way that's clinging it or clutching onto it sort of like desperately, but just to be like, Hey, like while you're here, while you're here, happiness, would you like to come closer? (laughs) Right. Oh yeah. Anytime, you know, I am the classic, like, as soon as I feel happy, I'm suspicious. I'm like, what the fuck is going to happen? And so I get defensive when I'm happy. Yeah. So I think that definitely, um, changing that concept and inviting that in while recognizing that it's fleeting is, is definitely, uh, a good thing to do. Yeah. So I'm interested in like how people are relating to yes. happiness, which I guess also means like how they're relating to not happiness because they sort of come, I think, hand in hand in yeah. some ways. Um, yeah. All right. Well, have a good night. You have a good night too. All right. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye.